hello, hello and welcome to this human resources meeting of the Downloadable Concept Podcast. I see that we have here in the dapper suit and fedora whilst holding a large um, a large balloon reading the boys they are back uh that would be uh jeb wrench they're back the boys are back everyone they're back in town finally after 13 years they're back yes yes sit down um and uh occupying three seats and is that did you bring food in here it, it, fox lee Ah, uh, yes, we, we need to discuss the critical lack of snacks in the meeting rooms. <sighs> All right, I'll add it to the end of the minutes as notaried by Minute Taker, Talon Lee. All right, now the first item of corrections is... Hey, Jeb, what have you been playing? <laughs> Let's jump straight into the deep end. <laughs> you get three guesses. Uh, well, the Final Fantasy, whilst you were waiting for Final Fantasy fifteen to download, then Final Fantasy fifteen. Close. I'd already beaten Final. I already beaten World of Final Fantasy. Ah. So I was playing. I was playing Dragon Quest Builders while oh, yes. while Final Fantasy fifteen was preloading because yeah, you were I pre-ordered this it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Try to keep up. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. See, I pre-ordered Final Fantasy fifteen, so I, I actually had it downloaded and patched before it even came out. That's value right there. Nice. Uh, sir. Final and Fantasy Fifteen. It's uh, you know, it's one of those things where you you expect a a, a game that has been in kind of development hell for a long time, and mm. Final Fantasy Fifteen was you know versus Thirteen was announced around about the same time Final Fantasy Ten Two came out. <laughs> it's been thirteen years in development hell over numerous directors and. Uh, Basic a, a console generation happened in between this <laughs> during this development cycle. The Final Fantasy fifteen development cycle is longer than the Duke Nukem Forever development cycle, which is kind That's of ridiculous. ridiculous. It really is. How is what's it even doing? more ridiculous? What's even more ridiculous? The game is amazing. <laughs> now hold on, rewind. How is it that you announced fifteen before thirteen? It was because originally they... called versus thirteen. Mm. It was uh, what the what the. Uh, I don't have all the exact details off the top of my head. Um, the intent was that the, they were going to go to a, a sort of, uh, a new design philosophy with Final Fantasies and have, uh, an interconnected universe between them and a whole series of games. And the, the first ones I think were going to be 13 and, and versus 13. Okay. So it was sort of meant to, well, not a side project, but, you know, the kind of thing that 13-2 was? Sort of? Like, um, it would be different parts of the same world. Uh, I guess the best way to, like, um, how you have different uh, D&D games taking place in the same setting, same world, but, you know, different stories being told about different people. By the way, I am down as fuck for this idea because it fills a world with more interesting shit than just, here is the one thing that's going on. Let me, oh God, only one thing going on in a Final Fantasy game? Well, yeah. That would be interesting. No, no, no it, it's more protagonist-centered continuity. Yeah, if you are not in the group with Sid and, um, with, with, um, Sabine, and I can't remember the name of his brother, I am the worst Final Fantasy VI fan in the world. Edgar. Um, Edgar. Edgar. Yeah, Edgar. Uh, Edgar. If you're not Even in that... I remember that, I haven't played that one. Well, I'm sorry, but the point is that if you're not in that group, nothing in the world is really happening. It's all just little holding loops until the protagonist group comes along and does something. But the idea of having multiple games set in the same world at roughly the same time, that's interesting to me. Especially if you can then use the fact that we have these fancy interconnected computers to make it so that stuff you do in one game affects the way other games behave. <laughs> yeah, let yeah, me clarify. they decided not to do that. Yeah, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I was talking more in lines of uh, positioning within the series as a mainline title versus a spin-off kind of thing. Um, I don't exactly know how they were planning on on doing you know continuity and things like that. Like they the the original I think the original announcement was it as versus thirteen. So I think it was supposed to be a, uh, like a, a spin-off sort of to thirteen, but they. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 got uh, the the original director decided that uh, after a lot of assets were made and trying different things, you know, I'm just I'm I just I can't do anything with this. And so another director stepped in and said, "I got this." <laughs> How good a job did the new director do? Final Fantasy 15 is an outstanding game. Hey, really are we talking it like uh, Metal Gear Solid Five kind of outstanding? And just that there's so much game in this game. There's a lot of game in this game. Hey, um, now Metal Gear Solid Five doesn't have chocobo hugging, so mm. Final Fantasy 15 is a better game. You can prove it because you can Reasonable. hug and pet the chocobos. Mm. Uh, can you have a dog for a team member? No, the dog mm. is busy doing other things. Oh, reserve judgment. The dog is delivering mail. Ooh, that is strong. And the Moogles delivered mail. No, don't be silly. Jeb really does feel like the downloadable concept ambassador to the world of Final Fantasy-style bullshit. Like, <laughs> you and I mostly have a kind of like an impression of Final Fantasy, but it's much in the same way we have an impression of Canada. We get the news stories, but we don't actually live there. Whereas Jeb just purely... Of course <laughs> Moogles don't deliver mail. Don't be silly. Now, they did Final Fantasy IX. I thought the joke there was that they do frequently, but, yes. you know, why would you suggest that? How ridiculous. <laughs> this is a new world. This is the, this is, this is the world of Carboys. <laughs> it's one of this the only... The... Go ahead. It's one of the only Final Fantasies I actually have played recently, and the recently in that sentence should give you a good idea of how often I've played Final Fantasies. But uh, Crystal Chronicles. Oh, yeah. was the last one we put a decent amount of time into. Um, and, and that had male moogles. There you go. Hmm. I never played a Crystal Chronicle. It's pretty good. There, were, there um, was a Crystal Chronicles. One of the Crystal Chronicles characters was in World of Final Fantasy. I don't know which Crystal Chronicles it was. I don't remember I know any characters. About the series. Like it was a very make-your-own-character uh, Final Fantasy. Mm. I did enjoy that, but mostly because I remember grabbing our friend Fletch and literally throwing him through gateways. <laughs> it, it was very fun to multiplayer, but of course, because it only had the uh, physical multiplayer, as we became more like adults, it became harder to yeah harder to get people together and actually play it for a decent amount of time. It was pretty good, and it looked very nice for a GameCube game, for sure. Alright, so, Jab, I'm assuming you're also not wanting to go in-depth on spoilers or anything like that for Final Fantasy XV, but uh, can, can you give me, uh, as it were, the thing you keep finding yourself wanting to do, which makes you go back to the game? Everything? <laughs> Did a chick get up and slap Donnie's face? <laughs> well? Oh my god! <laughs> no, Cindy just completely ignores Prompto. <laughs> I remember when uh, when, when Cindy was first visually spoiled, I, ho- I heard people saying, that's totally ridiculous. No no one would ever dress like that. And then I remember looking out the door at the time, like at the summer weather in Australia, at people who dress like that. Like, <laughs> that's different. They were going to the beach. That's true. So her name is Cindy. Yes, Cindy's name is Cindy. Yay. Fox isn't a fan of that name. I don't usually like the the Western names that they choose in, well, any JRPG, really. Steve! <laughs> Excuse me, there's a question over in Final Fantasy XV named Dave. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Cindy is... Cindy fills her role as 
eye candy. I also understand the, the, the important role of not taking any of a particular character's shit is also, like, that's generally a, a fun thing to have in a play, in, in a game dynamic. Who does that? Uh, you were saying she ignores Prompto? I'm assuming oh, yeah. Prompto is a character as opposed to, like, I don't know, this being Final Fantasy, maybe a living text Prompto. That's the name they have for gravity. Like a pet name. <laughs> no, Prom- no Prom- Prompto is the, is, is one of the, the very good boys of Final Fantasy 15. Uh, he's the photographer. Which means that uh, in between resting and when you're out driving and hunting and questing, you'll be he'll be taking pictures. And then the next time you go to rest, you get to look through the pictures he's taken, and you get to save or save some of them to his album or tweet them out on social media. <laughs> uh, as he levels up in his uh, his photography skill, he earns uh, the ability to take selfies and learns more filters that he can use. Uh, you will eventually collect. You'll eventually collect photographs of like various NPCs as you see them, and major monsters that you kill. He'll take pictures of those, and he'll take pictures during combat. <laughs> That's that. Uh, he's the. He's very. He's a very energetic, very good boy. He loves chocobos very much. Is he the uh, one when, who does you, the chocobo when, hugging minigame? No, that's 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 not that's the main character Noctis. Uh, ah. But when when Noctis gets when Noctis uh, pets and hugs the chocobo, Prompto squeezes and it's adorable. Noctis and Prompto. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, these names you are wanted, running for a you, loop. You, you Noctis, Prompto, Final and Cindy. You wanted Final Fantasy names. <laughs> I Final Fantasy wanted Final Fantasy names. I said nothing of the sort. Well, there's also there's there's also uh, the the cook and uh, senpai character uh, Ignis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going very hard for Latin in this case, aren't they? Or, or and at the very least, lorem ipsum style fantasy Latin. <laughs> and then the the buff dad Gladiolus. <laughs> well. Like I, I want to make fun of these, but it almost feels like it'd be too easy. Like any joke I make would produce the inherent funniness. And there is no point making fun of the it's like it's like you know saying that melodrama is uh, <laughs> is you know going in a bit too hard on this. Like this is definitely part of the genre, and if if you criticize it, you're kind of missing the point. Pr- prince Noctis's father. By the way, Noctis is a prince, so you know what his father is, right? King. Yeah. His name is Regis. King Regis. <laughs> So that's a daytime TV reference, right? That would be right? better if he was King Regis Rex. <laughs> <laughs> One time I was I was driving in the, the regalia, which is the car. Uh, yeah, I know, great name. Even has license plates on it. It's great. <laughs> uh, license plates with its name? No, no. Nah. The, the name regalia, is, it's on the, it's where you'd expect to see the name of a car on, uh, along the, the, the back hood. Oh, that's, or, that's the, like the, the model or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the driver around the regalia had to stop and wait at a at a, a break in the, the fencing on the road because just randomly there was a a herd of gorilla just just gorilla just, just rolling across gorilla. the street. Well, yeah, they wanted to go to the other side. Uh, sh- oh, hang on. Was this one of the many desert road trip scenes that I saw in the the preview video? <laughs> no, this, this gorillas don't live in the desert. <laughs> I yeah, that's right. I'm so silly. Gorillas don't. So live after in you the stopped desert. and let the gorillas cross the road. <laughs> I'm just saying is my my journey was it was and it wasn't like a, a scripted event or anything. It was nice to see just the the wildlife doing stuff. That is really cool. I do like I like the idea of the road trip element being like a you know a little bit of the trucking simulator flavor because there is something interesting about driving and and sightseeing while driving and spending time in a game just traveling. How's our tolerance Luckily, for me talking about academic bullshit? <clears throat> yeah, I, we haven't had any academic bullshit in a while. 
Well, um, this this touches on a an, an interesting. Um, okay, so there's a there's a famously uh, boring movie made in 2002 called Jerry, which is uh, it's it's an art house film by. Oh, uh, I've heard about this the, one. The bio yeah. the biopic of Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> of um uh, by by renowned art house director Louis Van Sant. I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I'm very sorry. Um, but where the fascinating thing about the movie is, it's about a story of two guys who got stranded in the desert and had to try and make their way back to the uh, the highway or find some sign of life in the hopes of being rescued. Um, and it's two hours long, and it shows all the travel, literally all the travel, all of the mm-hmm. walking. That, like we're so used to movies having cuts, and this is a movie that almost has no cuts. So you see shots of them walking through the desert, and you see shots of them climbing on rocks and walking through the desert, and they're not even talking. It's regarded usually by internet culture as like one of the most boring movies ever made. Sure, and it, it is kind of art housey in that this is clearly designed to be showing a thought process. But Gustav Sant went on the record a while after the after the thing kind of blew up on the internet and talked about where he got the idea from, and it was from what. Watching his secretary play Tomb Raider, where he remarked that a video game does something movies don't do. Movies cut out all the stuff in between events, whereas in video games, the video game play experience, the thing that gives it meaning and shapes character and that you focus on, that you enjoy doing, is the traveling around. Uh, Jerry is a movie which effectively has all of the all of the stuff that would be video game play kept in and he found that very interesting and tried to make a movie based on that idea um and it sounds like that's something that's that's coming through in final fantasy 15 where the actual trip is itself a thing you do rather than a thing you get into the car and there's a jump cut and now you're getting out of the car at a different location oh great if there is a fast travel system no that's fair (laughs) after you've been to after you've been to uh to uh, a rest stop you can fast travel back to there for a price because let's be honest you do a lot of traveling, mm-hmm. um, but you can't just you. you, you it, it costs you money, and it still uses your gas until it takes time. By the way, you can run out of gas. Um, <laughs> that would be the fucking worst. No, that should be like how you can meet people and stuff. Like if you have to wait on the roadside for someone to pick you up. Mm. Well, you push the car back, or you can call for a tow. <laughs> the opening scene of the game is just after the after the boys set out and the car breaks down. Mm-hmm. And so you start pushing. And that's when Stand By Me plays. Oh. <laughs> it's actually in the game. It's a yes. I, I really like that. I when I went back when I went back and listened to the to the sound, you know, once Jeb brought to my attention that this is in this game, I went back and listened to like I really am glad that you let me know about that. That's really cool. Uh, so far, the by the way, I've played this game for I think eighteen hours now. <laughs> it came out on Tuesday. Um, uh, I'm in chapter three, and chapter one is the prologue, is the tutorial basically. So there's a lot of game to this game. <laughs> so far, there's a lot of game to this game. I have been uh, doing a lot of side questing, of course, and doing a lot of hunts, and uh, you know, go out hunt some things, come back, get my reward, use the reward money to buy albums to play on the car, play in the car as I drive. Of course. The albums that What's the I, caliber of driving music like? Final Fantasy soundtracks. Oh yeah, yeah. Driving That's down the highway good. to driving down the highway, listening to Battle of Big Bridge and watching giant creatures all around you grazing. The one of the first things you see after you get to like the second area, after you get out of the after you get out of chapter one basically, uh you see this the, down in this this wetland, down in this marsh ginormous catablepus just <laughs> waiting around and grazing. That's and then really what happens? Cool. I went camping. Prompto gets up first thing in the morning. Hey, let's go take a picture of one. You're the bait. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get a minigame 
where it's oh, wonderful. Hold still, where it's hold still as long as possible <laughs> as it gets closer and as soon as you're ready you strike a pose before it eats you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Alright. Well, I'm assuming that we can just fill like an hour of audio with Jeb talking about individually great things that have happened with Final Fantasy XV. But the good news yeah. is, because we have extra episodes of the podcast coming out this month, well, because there are going to be more than one episode this month, we can just keep going back to that well. And we're yeah, going I, I, to, because this is what I'm going to be playing for a while. Excellent. This is going to be the uh, playing a lot of Hotline Miami of uh, Jeb's time on the podcast. Well, hopefully it'll be more sometimes interesting. After, than... sometimes, sometimes after fights prompt, we'll start singing the Final Fantasy victory music. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so he's the nerd. Nice. No, well, Ignis is more the nerd. Prompto is just a goofy, goofy sweet boy. Okay. Hey, that's nice too. Hey, Fox. I realized actually listening to all of this how much I'd quite like to have a game where traveling was the major gameplay component and couldn't be skipped again. And, like, you, it was mostly about getting to a big centerpiece uh, part of the game rather than, like, a constant stream of combat or whatever. Anyway, the point is I realized I was just wishing there'd be another Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> but Shadow of the Colossus where you took photos of things at the end instead of murdering them and feeling really bad about it. Yeah, hey, indie devs, selfies of the Colossus, get on it. <laughs> well, if you want games that are all about uh, the feeling of travel, Desert Bus for Hope just finished. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, sorry, that was my bad. Interesting travel. Oh, okay. So, but Fox, yeah. what have you been playing before I completely dominate this podcast? <laughs> well, speaking of people who have just been playing what they were playing last week, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, obviously Pokemon Sun has, has been consuming all of my game time. Um, now I'm kind of in the point where I can't say a lot more without spoiling stuff. That's really amazing, um, though. Like, Pokemon games with meaningful spoilers. Actually, yeah, it has a plot worth not spoiling. I mean, okay, look, uh, to give listener credit, I'm not going to be the only one who realized exactly <laughs> how different characters were related to one another and what the big secret was going to be pretty much as soon as we saw these people. It's, I mean, Pokemon visual design serves a purpose of telegraphing character, and we all know how to read it by now. That was some free Ellie content for the listener. <laughs> um, sorry, you made me lose my train of thought a little bit. Care about this. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, you know, if people didn't see it coming, then I don't want to ruin it for them either, because if you didn't work it out beforehand, it, it's kind of a surprise. Um, all the companion type characters are really good. Uh, it's another one. I mean, somebody said it was unusual because you didn't have just one rival, but to my recollection, that's happened in most of the games since the first couple. Like, the first and second, you, you are a hero and you have a rival, but the GBA had at least two rivals. And then it had Wally and the protagonist you didn't play. I think XY had a couple. Yeah, XY had, um, no, I'm thinking of black and white. Uh, there were like three characters who followed you around. You could give them a nickname to call you, which is why they followed me around going, boss. That was fun. <laughs> um, and black white had three of them as well. You had a couple of companions who you would do, you know, friendly rival battles with. And then there was N, who is lovely. <laughs> and is part Pokemon or something? Something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, are, yeah, are, they're all opinion, fun. Has your opinion of the the designs changed at all? Have you found yourself? I'm, I'm still more? not big into this generation of Pokemon. Um, it's probably a better game than ever. I have to admit. 
even though the ride page is still just a little bit disappoints me because I wish it was my Pokemon I was riding on. But it's not, you know, for no, no, it's ride pager is like uh, they have specially trained Pokemon to do all of the the surf and the climb and the fly and all that kind of stuff, and uh. you just phone one in. Yeah, so I mean, on one hand, it takes away from the need to to waste a move slot on moves which are almost universally subpar, but on the other hand, it's like this is just some Charizard they sent to carry me around. Ooh. It's not as my cool f- as being able to ride my Melotic or whatever. One of my favorite things about World of Final Fantasy was that you could ride your your own monsters around. Like, I caught this Marlboro, I'm riding it. Yeah. I know, right? In, um... In XY, they introduced this ride on a Pokemon feature, and I thought it was going to be, this is amazing, they've replaced the bicycle with, you can just ride a Pokemon. That's great. That makes so much more sense than having a freaking bicycle. But uh, it turned out that it's not your Pokemon, and it's just, like, in two specific bits of the map, you can ride one that's already there, and it's not very exciting at all. Anyway, and like Pokemon Go-Go Uber is a bit like that. but And the, the, the Go-Go doesn't even, you don't even get to ride it anywhere meaningful. You don't, and it's so tragic. I even I caught one in the other game, and I was all psyched for it to be my riding Pokemon. It is and pretty then, cute, our Pokemon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I like Skiddo, and I like Go-Go. They're cool. All right. But yeah, so, you know, that that is still a wee bit disappointing. But for convenience's sake, you can't really argue with it, and there's a lot of other sort of little quality of life changes that are just the same kind of incremental improvements you've gotten over the entire life of the Pokemon series. Mm-hmm. Though they did take out Super Training, which bothers me. Aww. <laughs> They, I mean, you can still, you still have more control over effort values than you ever did up until Super Training, in that they're totally exposed, and you can mass-produce the thing, the things which lower them, so you can replace them with the ones you actually want, but you have to do that through, you, you know how you do that? You do that by eating particular kinds of food and playing in bouncy castles. Huh. Really? Which I would be hugely in favor of, but they kind of, they're expensive. You have to do the friend plaza stuff, which is, you know, it's okay, but it gets kind of boring after a while because there's only a few different things to do and they're not that exciting. Ah, well. Kind of cool. I do kind of want to play Pokemon Moon now. <gasps> like, just the little things you shared with me as you're playing, because um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a point where you leant over from your computer and you know, where you're playing your 3DS and commented that the pink-haired girl from Team Skull <laughs> when she introduces herself, and this is a mild spoiler, she says, yeah, basically the rest of the team are idiots. <laughs> I think that was in the demo. Oh, good. <laughs> she she says something pretty similar in the demo, yeah. You don't meet her until much later in the real game, but uh, Plumeria. Is Plumeria? A, yeah, Pokemon also has really silly names. I bring this up only because <laughs> all the Team Skull girls have pink You were giving, so giving me sass with Gladiolus. You were giving me sass with Gladiolus. You know what's even better? There is a there is a lonely Tsundere boy kind of character <laughs> who you meet who who's like, you know, being tough on his own and like, no, I have to get stronger myself and you're all like, I totally know what kind of archetype you are and his name is Gladion. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. By the way, Gladiolus. There's gonna be a lot of fan out of him and Hal, I think. By the way, Gladiolus' sister's name is Iris, you know, just in case uh, <laughs> there wasn't a family theme going on here. <laughs> Uh, I would say something, but then I would be getting into spoiler territory. Radio. <laughs> anyway, it, it's a good game. Uh, so what have you been playing, Talon? I've mostly just been playing more Dishonored 2. Of course. Um, and Dishonored 2 is real, real good. I I have gone back and replayed it now something like eight times. I am one achievement shy of having all the achievements for this game, and it's an achievement for finding 45 different books throughout the world and reading all of them in the same playthrough. So it's it's not like I've been, you know, I, I have done the achievement for get through the entire game killing nobody <laughs> or, and being noticed never. Though I will say um, the achievement system is a, okay, 
accessibility in achievement systems is a thing, right? I've, I've complained that not being able to turn off an achievement system is itself an accessibility problem. In- mm. Sorry, you just reminded me of one bit in Sun Moon where there's a story bit you can't get through unless you have the sound turned on. Ah! That was a BS move. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go on. But in Dishonored 2, the achievement system doesn't care about the difficulty you have the game set to, and to my amazement, it kind of doesn't care how you get the achievements in question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the achievements is for killing six people in 1.5 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the, the combat system is so fluid and so excellent at doing what it's doing that you can totally do that. You just need to be really good and, like, you know, moving fast and timing yourself well. So this isn't like you have to do something dodgy, like line people up near a wall or something? No, but indeed, if you're a show-off, you could use, uh, you could get a chain of headshots with a crossbow um, and penetrating shot. Like, you could do that hypothetically in one shot, which is so cool! Which is what you, you did, right? Domino people? No, because what I did was choke out six overseers, pull them in a pile, and drop a grenade on it. <laughs> <laughs> And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, this isn't going to work, is it? Like, the achievement's not going <laughs> to... <laughs> oh, and by the way, Overseer's a dick, so I feel no shame. I love how <laughs> direct that is compared to the other possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get them all in one place and blow them up. <laughs> I just made a death pile. This also taught me that uh, in Dishonored 2, removed limbs are pickable objects. <laughs> oh, no. Are they equipable weapons? No, but they're throwable. Good. And with the oh. and with the high with the strength upgrade, any item you throw if you hit someone in the head knocks them out. Which meant that I blew up an overseer in his office, picked up his discarded leg, went to the window, looked across the canal at a guard who was about to execute an innocent person, panicked, threw the foot. <laughs> From three stories up, it arcs through the air in a sort of, you know, slow motion. And, and then the kill cam kicked in because the game has a kill cam. And it shows the shot of the guard as he pulls his gun, points it to the back of the head of the innocent civilian, and then a foot comes into the top of the camera, hits him in the head, and he bounces backwards into a rose bush, disappears. And the civilian, the kill cam lingers just long enough that the civilian's looking around going, What? <laughs> Dishonored 2 is a really good game. I <laughs> <clears throat> um, can't do that again. <laughs> and I looked at it and went, I wish I'd been streaming. I wish I'd recorded that. I wish I wish I had any way to convey this aside from telling the story of the time I chucked a foot. <laughs> um, yes, oh, it's, God. It's, it's a game with a surprising amount of emergent stuff. Um I, I, it's also really thoroughly detailed. Um, you may remember me last week mentioning a character called Mindy Blanchard. Um, I found out that she appears in a, in a second level, not just one. Uh, and while she's there, you do have to avoid her because she's a guard. And I thought that's kind of interesting. And then I wound up getting into a fight with her because I thought, cause, well, because I screwed up. But while I was there, I was watching her. And um, she has unique lines for when she's fighting you. She doesn't just quote like a guard, which, you know, fair enough. She's a fully developed character. She has two unique executions for you, depending on for either character, she kills Corvo differently to how she kills Emily. Which you know, that's that's like you know silly of me, like oh, it's a big deal. But it's just so much stuff in this game. It is, it is. It feels like a conventional AAA game folded up small. So there's so much extra stuff in this small space. Anyway, that's I, a very cool description. I, I don't want to keep prattling on about it because I will just keep prattling. Oh, Prattle, your stories about feet are much more fun than my stories. What we're going to do one of these weeks is we're just going to each start talking at the same time for an hour. 
but, but uh, the individual game, let the listener sort it out. <laughs> Though I, I did like that you said discarded leg. Because there's definitely an element of willingness if you Sorry. can describe something as discarded. You are right. But I did not, not relinquish ownership of that leg willingly. Oh, it's dismembered. That's right. Oh, oh, on, on a related front. Um, guards in Dishonored 2 who tease animals or who are mean to animals. The animals remember. Good. Um, there's there's a guard in in in, a, in one of the levels who has a whole bunch of wolves behind. Well, they're hounds, but he has them behind glass, and he sits there making fun of them. And if you sit there listen long enough, he make he, he ridicules them for how long he's kept them without food. It's a glass wall. And Corvo has a power called Wind Blast, so Corvo can knock people, and they just fly forward for a bit. So Corvo stands up, Wind Blast. He goes through the glass into the room, and I'm like, okay, I've just alerted a whole bunch of dogs to my presence. They're going to come for me, and they don't. They dive on the dude. Yeah, I don't know if that's so much that they remember, but yeah, that right? sounds like obviously been scripted as yeah 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 but that, that sounds like the game telling you uh, yeah. a solution to a problem but then I found later on a similar guard who has similar lines near some dogs but he's not in a position to be easily brought there and I thought this is weird I choked the guy out, I carried him back to where the dogs he was dealing with were, dropped his body, moved it over to a different spot, opened the area where the dogs were, at, were from, and they ran out and attacked him instead of me, despite the fact I'd aggroed them. See, what you'd need to do is test this with another guard. Which I did. You did. And they came Look. after me. Okay, that's and pretty special. So someone in the game developed- like an animal cruelty flag. Yes! I want to. I want to go through and find if I can use the heart to find one of the guards who were explicitly mentions that line about you know he beats the dogs because they're the only thing that does complain. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see if that guy will trigger dog attacks. And, and I of course, can't the hard, believe there's that. Much. The hard part about pulling that off, of course, is that you want to kill the motherfucker yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing. The heart it used to be in Dishonored One. Every guard you killed contributed to your chaos score, and the, you you like twenty percent of the guards. You could kill twenty percent of the guards in any given level and not get above low chaos. And that was seen as like a com- people complained that that was too simplistic. I myself never even came close to it. I, I felt the idea of killing a lot of people in Dishonored One was just a waste of the fun. But in Dishonored Two, one combat is so much more fun, <laughs> and two. The heart now, at the start of every level, goes through the whole cast, every single character that, that will appear, huh, and wow. flags them with varying degrees of personality and behavior. The heart, when you hover it over everyone, reports back on it. And the guards come in three flavors. There are good guards, like genuinely good people, where we'll remark on, hey, these people are doing their best. There are dickish guards, who are just kind of, well, they're bullies and pricks, but that's it. And then there are the actual monsters, the people who are doing really terrible stuff off screen. Killing the really terrible people doesn't affect your chaos score. Good. So you can go around with the heart in hand and find all the explicitly abusive guards, shiv them, and walk away (laughs) with the mystically endowed knowledge that I have made my empire a better place. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, you're delightfully totalitarian. But, um, yeah, you know, I like that idea because the implication is that they would cause mm. more chaos by continuing to exist. But I am fine with delightfully totalitarian wish fulfillment, especially <laughs> when it's empowering a lady. <laughs> All but, right. You know, it, look, we're going to get totalitarian wish fulfillment in video games anyway. Most of video games is, to some degree, fascist power fantasy. <laughs> um, so you might as well use that for good rather than evil. All right, then. Now... I have one last thing for Jeb. Yeah. Don't know if I've mentioned it yet. The the professor of Sun mm-hmm. and Moon, because there is always a professor, Great. is not just cool beach bum professor who doesn't wear a shirt under his lab coat because he's so laid back. He's mm-hmm. also a luchador. Of course he is. <laughs> he has a secret identity. Uh, on that note, thank you very much, Jeb, for giving me the chance to bring to Jet Grind's attention 
the French name of the Pokemon Harucha. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Bruta yes. Libre. Bruta Libre. <laughs> Fantastic. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here it is. The corrections for the nineteen ninety-four retro gaming news. Brought to you by Cardwin Hunting and Sporting Supplies. When you need a foot that'll go a hundred feet. My joke. You threw off my joke. So I was going to say, are we done with remakes? So I had a random chat with a podcast list with with a the podcast listener, um, Jalapeno Overdrive, on Twitter, where it was pointed you can't out to name me. Name a listener. You broke it. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, but Jalapeno Overdrive pointed out to mystique. me that I was wrong. That Tekken was not the first 3D fighter of the the arcade scene. Virtual Fighter Three. She would, and she would know. Right. Uh, <laughs> Funny story. I almost said Virtual Fighter hmm. during the retro gaming news, and I was like, no, that's silly. In that conversation, I was prompted to go back and double check some dates on 1994, and oh my god, did I miss some stuff? <laughs> Are we not going to guess what you missed? Well, we're going to do two little segments here. We either go into 1994's tie in hell. <laughs> Ooh, strong. Or we go into, holy crap, how did I forget about this stuff from 1994? So, these are all all going to be tie-in games. First up, it is a Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes movie game. Demolition Man? Demolition Man. It's a Hanna-Barbera long-runner character game. Like, this this character was in the 19... I want to say the late 1950s, early 1960s. It's one of the Flintstones games? Uh, close. Right caliber of character, but a different... But but the other big side of, of Hanna-Barbera at that but, time. Yogi Bear? Yes, the adventures of yes. Yogi Bear. Yeah. We have a martial arts kung fu movie with... With, with, with God, motion-captured teenagers based on a... Three movie. Ninjas Kickback? Three Ninjas Kickback. Oh, my God. We have a movie trying to capitalize on the wild success of Macaulay Culkin as a, as a main actor from Home it's Alone. Home Alone no, not the Home Alone tie-in game. The, what was the, the movie the, after the Home good Alone? Son? Sorry? The, the, oh, Dennis the, the Menace. Not Good Son. Not, oh, no, not, Richie Rich? No, this was an animated movie. With Macaulay Culkin. Oh. As the main voice. I don't know. The Page Master video game. Oh, that was him, wasn't it? We have, uh, we have a game... That wanted to but could not sample Jeff, not Jeff Bridges. Dang it, uh, Win. Sorry, the, the guy from the guy from Jaws, the 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 hard bitten old dude. Uh, God damn it. Oh, uh, is that Roy Schneider? Schneider, yes. He, he to was sam- Bridger in Sequest DSV, yes. which is you're getting Jeff Bridges from. Yes, and that's the thing. It's the Sequest DSV Super Nintendo game. Oh my God, there was a Sequest DSV game. Yes, there and was. And I never had it all this time. Yes. Um, interestingly, it was published by THQ, continuing their trend of like, oh, buddy. <laughs> See, TH- THQ is actually just uh, three guys who will publish anything from Maniac Mansion. Just anything. <laughs> it's like the it's like the cast of, of Fear and Loathing rolls up and just like, hey, you want to publish something? Come on. <laughs> Next up, we have a Genesis and we, well, we have a, a multi platform release by Virgin Interactive based on a popular Disney movie. And really, this could be one of many games at this point. Lion King. Lion King. Yes, indeed. We have. We have a tie-in for a tie-in movie. Uh, you may remember the Indiana Jones series of movies. Sure. And it spawned a spin-off series of not quite good enough to get into the theaters movies, right? No, I don't remember that. I remember the young Indiana Jones yes. TV show. Well, yeah, sorry, yes, it was a TV show, yes. So there was a tie-in video game for young Indiana Jones. Goodness Instruments of Chaos. 
cool. Uh, it's a Genesis platformer. You're a few different young such and such cartoons at that point. <laughs> we have a sitcom tie-in platformer based Hold around on. more Hold on. home improvement. Yes, shit, good work, Jeb. We have another Disney movie tie-in game. Uh, it was an action platformer. Aladdin. <laughs> no, no. Beauty this is if it came after the Lion King, it's got to be the Pocahontas video game. It, technically, this game came Which out was after Lion King, but the movie it's from came out before. Oh, fact, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Beast. Beauty and the Beast, the SNES game. That was actually... Oh, wait, the SNES one may not have been because they were different in the Disney oeuvre, but the Beauty and the Beast Mega Drive game was a two-sided one where you could rip shit up as the Beast or, like, prance around solving puzzles as Belle. Yeah. One played Belle. We have... Smoke, an, uh, snowball catching minigame. We have an MTV tie-in. Uh, it's uh, some Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, it's Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. They, uh, you could get a minigame from that as a standalone game, which mm-hmm. was hawking loogies off the roof of the school on people and yeah. squirrels and different things. Next, and finally, and I'm only bringing this up because there is a wildly remote chance that Jeb knows this because it's it's francophonic. Um, <laughs> <sighs> actually, you know what? I have no way to give you useful hints for this because it's it, the, the, the Wikipedia page from it is also When you say it's francophonic, do you mean that it's, it's French or is it like Tintin or something? Like from it means it speaks Tintin. French, technically, doesn't it? Uh, okay, so the game is based... <sighs> Uh, it's by Radical Entertainment. It's based on a Paramount Picture film called Dede's Kids. Oh, yeah, that got a tie-in. I thought we were going to get to Italian, try and pronounce French. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> that's, now. that's not. Babe, it's Bebe's Kids. Bebe's Kids. I apologize. It's Bebe's Kids. It's definitely not Francophonic. It's 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 uh it's bad. Mm-hmm. You have to find Bebe's Kids. Is known as, Bebe's Kids is known as first of all the the the, the American cartoon was garbage <laughs> uh, because that's what it was. It was an American cartoon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, that oh, is widely considered by many. <laughs> The worst video game ever made. Wow. Um, you control characters named LaShawn or Khalil. So I'm going to take a wild guess that this is a tiny bit racist? Well, I mean, the, the characters are black. Okay, All that's... the characters in the show are black. They don't look it on the cover of the game. Everyone in the cover of the game looks white as the driven snow. That's disturbing. That is really amazing and terrible. All right, moving on. So, we have a tie-in for a genuinely beloved series of books. Like this, is, We are out of tie-in hell. We're into games that are actually worth talking about. Um, Do we love them because they're really good, or despite them being kind of crap, if we're being honest? Um, I, I I wouldn't make that call myself. Okay. This is a book series by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Oh, it's Dragonlance game. No, Dragonlance. Is there a? Uh, it might be Dragonlance because I don't know if these two book these book series is part of the Dragonlance ga- books. Is it a Deathgate cycle it's game? It's a Deathgate cycle game. Yes. Oh right, there was a point and click for that. Yes, I've actually played that, but I forgot all about it. Which was developed by Corey and Laurie and Cole who are responsible for the Quest for Glory series and the Dr. Brain series. This may come up. it's not an especially good game. Yeah, it was It was made in the model of the Companions of Xanth game, which were really good for churning out games fast. And for future reference, uh, Deathgate isn't part of Dragonlance, but it does feature a joint extra continuity kind of character who is like a planeswalker, basically. Okay. So, next okay, up... <laughs> it's got your Velminster as a planeswalker. That's pretty much for any... He also may or may not be a god. Alright. Now, this game's only going to be notable if you remember really weird names uh so yeah it's from the it's from the developers of the goblins series of games uh cocktail vision it was released by sierra <laughs> entertainment hmm? i've had cocktail vision a few times <laughs> oh goodness me uh it was written and created by pierre Guilhodes, and i i've just pronounced the french surname <laughs> like it was spanish i'm very sorry um but 
It is not part of the Goblins series or canon. It didn't do particularly well and was lauded at the time for its wonderful animation and much complaint was made about its incredibly obtuse, difficult puzzles. That said, Uh-oh. I don't really know if this is going like, to... I'm pretty sure you'd have to dig deep to, to remember this one. Does it have extraneous vowels? It has nonsense words. Nonsense words in its title? Yes. Goodness me. It's the bizarre adventures of Woodruff and the Schnibble. Right, okay. Of course, how can I forget the adventures of fucking Woodruff and the goddamn... All-time classic. This yeah. is why Schneffel has entered the vernacular. Schneffel. T- okay, I may or may not have been making up that last bit. <laughs> you caught me! Next up, we have one of the last games Blizzard Entertainment made when they were still transitioning from Silicon Synapse. It was a step platformer. It was a puzzle game. It was also a game where you played a ripped up dude with a shotgun. Blackthorn! Blackthorn! Blackthorn, Blackthorn. badass. One no. of the last great password save games. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, tell me what a step platformer is. Uh, a step platformer is a platformer where you have a fixed unit of distance whenever you take a step. Prince of Persia. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, Prince of Persia is a good example. Step platformers are... Um, Technically, Tomb Raider is a good example. I guess... Well, the early be. Tomb Raiders, anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, they were... Part of the reason they feel so awful now is because the there is an absolute fixed distance to a step and a jump and a running jump. And, right, yeah. yeah. Um, step platformers were a cheeky way for programmers to make levels that were secretly grids. <laughs> um, also, they made life a lot easier on animators because you didn't have to tween anything. Fixed animation. Really, this is going to sound really silly because the best uh, the best game I can think of that people would know when I mention a fixed animation game would be Dark Souls, where once you commit to an animation, that's it, you're stuck. Um, step platformers were really big on that. Uh, Prince yeah, of Persia. Tweening is, tweening is a different thing. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm tweening mi- is easy. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up the word that... I was going to say, Dark, Dark Souls has lots of ways to cancel animations. Most of them involve getting hit, but attack <laughs> animations are a... It's not hard fixed, but it's generally so. <laughs> as opposed to Blackthorn, where it's just like, no, you, you started pointing that shotgun behind you instead of in front of you. You're fucked. But yeah, Blackthorn yes, was... You look awesome while you do it. Yeah, Blackthorn was a comic <laughs> book cover matter. made into a game. It was so good. <laughs> Which is why the fact that the gameplay was so uh, careful and precise is kind of funny. Your character is this ripped up Native American looking motherfucker with a denim jacket. Sorry, uh, oh, wow. with, with, with a sleeveless denim jacket over a bare chest and a pump action shotgun. Oh, and, we may have reached peak 90s. And most of your game is going to be spent hugging a wall, waiting for the baddies to, you know, <laughs> pop out so you can pop out and shoot them. Oh, that's less exciting. You it's still a great game. Either, you can shoot them either normally with your gun in front of you. <laughs> Or you can turn around and with one arm shoot behind you. Hell yes! That's how much of a badass Blackthorn is. <laughs> awesome. And you remember how I said that the uh, that the game looked like a comic book cover? Uh-huh. The art for Blackthorn was by Jim Lee. Have you have you seen that one game where you actually are playing a comic book? Um, Jeb, you probably know this one. It was a Mega Drive game. Comic Song? Comic Song. Yes. Yeah, where you actually play through the panels of comic book pages. <laughs> That okay. was just a really clever concept. Next up, we have the attempt from an arcade developer. Like, this, this game is not... You're not going to guess this game, but I want you to know about this game. Sure. Uh, this was an attempt to do topple Mortal Kombat. It was a game by Incredible Technologies and published by Strata in the arcades. It was called Bloodstorm. <laughs> Bloodstorm wanted to be a Mortal Kombat killer, but its engine couldn't handle uh, the Rasta fast enough, so you would get that tearing effect you get when a character... Handle the Rasta? Handle the Rasta. Uh, Whenever you jumped, there was a very subtle tearing effect at the very top of the screen, which never feels good. Oh, superb. But let me give you the rundown of the names of the characters you could play in Bloodstorm. Oh, no. You could play Fallout, a mysterious warrior who emerged from the radioactive part of the planet known as the Death Zone. (laughs) Okay, that's that's another thing. Good Fallout, that's a, that's a cool guy name. Tot right. Talon, a cybernetic warrior whose steel heart makes him a cold and cruel ruler of Siberia, spelt C-Y-B. 
Now, Talon, did Good you stutter, things. or is his name Tort Talon? No, no, it's Talon. It is Talon, okay. <laughs> Mirage. Good things, Good things always happen when you spell it C-Y-B-E-R-I-A. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Uh, oh, no. Mirage, the leader of a cannibalistic Amazon tribe who live in the harsh desert in the province of Obsel, having overtaken and enslaved the male population. Same. Tremor, <laughs> the strongest and wisest of a race of people known as Earthians. Don't you love how you're, uh, you know, you can be a cannibalistic Amazon who enslaves men, but you're still going to get the girl name. Razor, a suave and handsome man who was once in love with Tempest, the daughter of the High Emperor who was murdered before the events leading up to the contest. Is that the Emperor of Siberia? Hellhound, the fiercest fighter in general of the fire people of the southern province. <laughs> and finally, Freon, Steve. leader of the ice people. <laughs> Freon. That's ninja. all he gets, leader of the ice people. Leader of the ice the people. Ice nin- <laughs> the ice ninja. <laughs> mm. uh, they promised that they would be AC. There was one. <laughs> well, everything changed when the fire people attacked. <laughs> Next up, we have a. Did, was there, let me guess. They all had to fight like a a five armed. <laughs> the Wikipedia page doesn't mention any final bosses because I don't think a fuck was given. Next up, we have what was generally heralded as a real high watermark for the point-and-click adventure game. Uh, it also took itself very seriously in the money invested in getting the game made, which meant that it had um, voice acting. It was one of the first CD talky games that wasn't a talky version of an existing game. And the art director, um, Charles Cecil, recruited David Gibbons to do a series of comic book pages that was used to inform the visual aesthetic of the whole game. You might know Dave Gibbons as the artist behind Watchmen. Cool. No idea what this game is. In this game, at one point you drop a welding robot onto your robot buddy who then ronders around waving a welding torch at you going exterminate exterminate uh, um, hmm. mm. okay i mean as soon as you say robot buddy i'm thinking beneath a steel sky it is beneath a steel sky i did not know that had talkie in it at all it does what was that jeb i just said that i missed you i'm sorry jeb said also yes but yes it was beneath the steel sky which also used an updated version of the lure of the temptress engine from 1992 except um, beneath the steel sky is good um, yeah you heard me 1992's lure of the temptress come fight me get at this but yeah beneath, beneath the steel sky is still still really a good point and click adventure game feel free to go and grab free. it on GOG it's free yeah it's totally free get it, get it on GOG have a look around see what you think also if you're on Linux if you're on Linux it's, it's in various uh, uh, repositories um, nice. I, I went when we were like, oh, it was the it's first CD nice talkie game. game. Hmm. The, the first CD talkie game, and that meant that I had the vision at the time of like, well, it must be 640 megabytes of data because it's, that's a CD, right? Uh, yeah, the, the GOG downloads, I think, 113 meg. <laughs> All right, next up, we have Sid Meier accidentally creating a genre, and it wasn't Civilization. Uh, Robert, uh, yeah, Robert. Yeah, it was, it was um, 1994 saw the first release of Transport Tycoon. How the fuck did I... How the fuck did the previous list miss <clears throat> Transport Tycoon? I was just going to say, so at this point we've gotten into the how, did I, how the fuck did I forget this section of 94. Yeah. Uh, did you know that the Oregon Trail had a sequel? No. Nope. Yes. What's it called, Jeb? Uh, the Oregon Trail 2. Oh, this is its other <laughs> sequel. This is the Canadian sequel. Ooh. By the learning company who were responsible for the Super Solver series of games. Oh. It's Yukon Trail. Which is like Oregon Trail, but you've got to pan for gold on the way. Oh, hang on, hang on, I'm getting something. How about instead of all that, we have Northwest Passage? <laughs> just, just one time. <laughs> just, just one time. It, it's a survival game that you can only play once. It leaves a cookie on your computer that says, no, you can't play this again, you're done. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like a really good art house indie kind of thing to send one of my friends as an idea. <laughs> Next up, we have a karting game on the PC that was distributed as shareware. You could play as animals. Oh, um, what's it? Wacky Wheels? Wacky Wheels? Wacky Wheels! Wheels. Wacky Wheels. 
which was developed by Beaversoft and released by Apogee Software. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. I was going to talk about Super Solvers, but let's not. Let's not. Um, <laughs> For another time, perhaps. So here's the thing that might interest you. 2014, Cascadia Games acquired the rights to Wacky Wheels from Apogee and made a sequel slash remake. <laughs> a sequel? Which you can buy on itch.io. Oh my god. Next up, we have a... Uh, okay, so quick check. Does the name Steve Moretzky mean anything to either of you? Sounds like a hockey player. Probably does. <laughs> he wishes. Um, Steve Moretzky is one of the early text adventure pioneers who's responsible for a bunch of, well, they called them adult games, but they're really just kind of pointlessly smutty. Um, mm -hmm. he, he's generally hailed as, a, as an influence on Al Lowe, who's responsible for the Leisure Suit Larry series of games. I was going to say, are we talking Leisure Suit Larry level of uh, adult or yeah. are we less respectable? Like, are we talking like Leather yeah. Goddess of Phobos? I think Leather Goddess of Phobos is based on the text adventure game <laughs> Leather Goddess from Mars, which is Steve Steve Moretzky. <laughs> okay. So Steve Moretzky has a, let's let's politely call it odd sense of humor. He uh, made a superhero game. You had me at leather goddess. <laughs> did, he make stripper, did he make a stripperella game? No, he didn't. In fact, I think one of your friends might have streamed some of this game going, what the fuck is this? Because, Sounds like he should have made a stripperella game. Because this is like an open world superhero game where with, with RPG element, well, it's, it's a full blown RPG with a party and you can randomly roll new superpowers, but the superpowers include things like immune to chilies and dangerous farts. Ah, I see. Um, it's also post-apocalyptic. You would almost be a disadvantage if you got both of those two Mm-hmm. The game is set in the post-apocalyptic New Jersey slash New York slash Pennsylvania tri-state area, where the player controls a team of offbeat and useless superheroes who battle a number of strange enemies, most notable the evil Dr. Entropy, a human jack-in-the-box with plans to bring chaos into it's the like, world. They make Freedom a Mystery Force. Man video game. What was that, Jeff? The Freedom Force? No, uh, Freedom Force would be several years later and would mention this game as an influence. This is the Superhero League of Hoboken. <laughs> Never heard of it. No, definitely not. It looks like ass. That's a place, right? Yeah. Because the only place I know Hoboken from is an ice cream. That's area. the that's the tri-state area. Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's a city in New Jersey. You know what company was still around in 1994? Oh, lots of them. Sierra? Bullfrog. Oh. Bullfrog were pretty good at this video game business. Theme Park? Theme Park. Yeah. You forgot theme park How did you forget that? Well, I went off a Wikipedia list of noteworthy games from 1994, and they don't think... Theme wow. Park is notable. Wikipedia game. So what we're getting at is the person who wrote this list doesn't like Tycoon games. Yeah, because they skipped Transport Tycoon as well. Oh, point and clicks. And there's another one coming. But Jazz Jackrabbit, which elevated <laughs> renowned furry porn mogul Cliffy B, <laughs> uh, that got a notable entry. I think it's fair to say that well, was a noteworthy game. That's a notable game. <laughs> if only noteworthy as one of the better attempts to just be Sonic. <laughs> Now, here's... Better than Sonic. <laughs> now, okay, so rather rather than just sticking with, um, with you know, hey, Theme Park was fucking awesome and talking about the familiar names, I want to just briefly take a quick aside to talk about one of the people involved in Theme Park who was responsible for the artificial intelligence. I just want to take a slight aside first, if I can. Go for it. To Jab. Um, let, let's just keep in mind that Jazz Jackrabbit's design pitch was Sonic, but with attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but the game is still better than Sonic. <laughs> now back to town. The AI author of Theme Park was a man, Demis, D-E-M-I-S, Hasabis, who was Greek Cypriot and Chinese Singaporean. So, wow. Like, I'm not familiar with any of the structures for those names, so I apologize. Uh, Dr. Um, Habasis, sorry, Hasabis, for getting your name wrong. I do not mean any disrespect by it. He started work on uh, Bullfrog projects to fill time while working on other stuff and made the Theme Park AI. Pete Molino was so impressed with the Theme Park AI that he went on to work on the black and white AI. And that was nice and cool and all. Uh-huh. 
And then he moved on to a couple of video games for Eidos and Vivendi. He's responsible for AI in the game Republic the Revolution, which no one remembers, and Evil Genius, which some people may remember as a very interesting Bond-themed re-riff on Dungeon Keeper. Mm-hmm. But oh, yes. after finishing at Elixir Studios that made Evil Genius, he returned to academia and got a PhD in cognitive neuroscience in the co- University College of London, <laughs> working with Professor Eleanor Maguire and Professor Gerard Rees. da 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 giant pile of references and citations and he is now working in the field of autobiographical memory and amnesia where he has co-authored several very influential papers published in Nature, Science, Neuron, and PNAS. Note that Nature is it's not a, it's not a magazine called Nature, Science, and Neuron. It's a it's Nature, comma, <laughs> science. These are all publication and, titles. Those are all very, very important journals. Right. So, so what you're saying is that he is the he is actually becoming an IRL like horror game protagonist. <laughs> well, here's the or other antagonist, thing. Antagonist, sorry. Antagonist, sorry. He, he's, he's the, the one thing. doing the research. He's the one doing the research into the the memory rewriting and stuff. Yeah, which he then brought into bear with his understanding of uh, computer technology to create the Deep Mind Project, which Google bought for four hundred million pounds in oh, two thousand I'm scared now. Shit. I don't know what that is, but I'm scared now. It's going to be some uh, learning behavioral algorithm thing? It absolutely fucking is. Yeah, we know what Google wants. Yeah. Now, here's the here's the final note, the thing I love the most about this gent, looking at his, his Wikipedia page. It notes, sure, he's got an ELO rating of 2,300 at age 13 in chess. So, ooh, smart. But you know what else? He's the fourth-ranked diplomacy player in the world. <laughs> Which means he's finished a game of diplomacy. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and this guy worked on theme park. There we go. Just, I, I just, I just love that this, this is a, like, 400 million pounds. Duh, holy shit. Like, you said 400, and I was like, yeah, million. Whoa, pounds. Holy fuck. It's about 1.2 billion Australian dollars. Oh, that is so much money. I can't even. This AI project got bought for probably about as much as Fairfax Media is worth. And now it's going to get used to work out whether liking racism means that you're a fascist or just a normal white person. Next up, we have uh, 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 we have one of the only first-person shooters on the SNES. <laughs> oh, wow. Historically notable for a whole bunch of reasons. I'm sure I've talked about them on the podcast before. But Super Noah's Ark. Super Noah's Ark 3D. Goodness me. The only commercially released SNES game in the US that was not officially sanctioned by Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> we should do an educational games episode at some point. Yes, we should. God, this game is so weird. Anyway. <clears throat> Damn, I could bitch about Super Soldiers. Next up. Dun, 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 dun. One must fall. One must fall, 2097. <laughs> Again, how did I miss this? This came out in 1994 and owned my life for two years in the shareware version with four robots. <laughs> also, the best video game bargain my cousin ever got because we found it at the Easter show for $2. Oh my god. Amazing. I loved this game. I love this game so very much. We, um, the graphics were all done with PCX files, so we tried to make our own characters at one point. Yeah. It didn't work. It didn't, didn't but work, no. It, uh, it did inspire our future careers in fiddling around with video games. <laughs> yeah, the, and, and you know who, you know what else was in One Must Fall? Jazz Jackrabbit. <laughs> <laughs> he was like a secret character, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, there is in currently a open source version of um, the game on GitHub called Open OMF. Wow. Uh, which is trying to give it both cross platform compatibility and uh, some way to run a multiplayer game that isn't an IPX connection. So is this a rebuilding from scratch kind of thing? or well, The game was released as freeware in 1999. Which, by the way, when you think about it, that's five years on. The developer said, five years, that's enough. We've made our money. Yeah, wow. Which is super nice. Well, Epic Shareware model was really successful. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
especially because um, unlike a lot of other shareware models, the um, the developers kept getting money as more shareware copies were being sold, which is pretty cool. Normally, it was kind of, you know, we're going to give you enough money and that's it. Well, just the fact that they got a bit of money for a shareware version rather than it being free to share. Yeah. I mean, you could share it, but, you know, the, the way you found it was probably you found the disc in the shop for a couple of bucks. Next up, we have a SNES attempt to oust Sonic as the cool, fuzzy animal hero that goes fast. Goes fast? Does go fast, but in a straight line. Hmm. Okay, well, I thought it was going to be Bubsy, but no. uh, he's, he's not very fast. Though there was a Bubsy game in 1994, but fuck it, we have to to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) We don't get to cover true art games. Yes. Not make it into the noteworthy category. Well, Jazz Jackrabbit was Sonic, but edgier, so what if you took Sonic and made him more noble? Maybe... Okay, it's going to be Rocket Knight. Rocket Knight Adventures. Yes, it is. He goes in many directions. It's a straight line. Except when he's not. (laughs) That was very misleading. Like, you can't curve the shot. Oh my god, can you curve it? Never mind. Yes. Uh, Sparkster and Rocket Knight Adventures. (laughs) And and Sparkster, Rocket Knight Adventures, and Sparkster 2 came out in the same year. I'm assuming there's some degree of a labeling fuss going on there, because there's no way they made three Rocket Knight games in one year. Well, it might be a re-release, because I'm pretty sure that Sparkster, as the title of the game, was not used in at least a couple of places. Like, here, I think it was just Rocket Knight Adventures. Next up, we have another Sid Meier just knocking the fucking ball out of the park kind of game that unfortunately now in hindsight looks a lot worse mostly because of its central theme of sure it's okay to do this colonialism it's colonization yes he just made a game called colonization he made a game called colonization wow. and in colonization well, it was based on the board game yeah and, and in colonization you will just occasionally have native american tribes turning up and being like hey fuck off and your only responses are something along the lines of here is some money to not fuck to not get me to fuck off or okay we're going to exterminate you now right brilliant because you know limited mechanics uh well, there's something to be in se- to be said for enforcing historical realism in this kind of instance. Like, no, you don't get to pretend that they just said, "Oh, okay, sorry, we respect your uh, your occupation of this land." Wait, what were we thinking? How bad? Next up, uh, knowing Jeb's uh, taste for what were the video game equivalents of shitposts, do you remember a series of games called Mad Dog McCree? Yes. Right. So, did you know that in 1994, a home live-action laser disc version of a <laughs> of a Mad Dog McCree engine game was released? Yes. What was it called? I do not know which one it was that was. <laughs> Why don't you just give us some names from this series, then, Jeff? Well, I, I saw the I saw the Adventure Pal stream this. Okay, yes, it's called Shootout at Old Tucson. Oh, Shootout! Yeah, right. which I just thought I, when I saw the name in the, in the giant list of things that came out in 1984, I'm like Old Tucson. Sure, let's see. That's supposed to New Tucson. Yeah. Next up, we have. Uh, okay, this game. This game might be too obscure. But it's worth remarking on because it is hard as fucking nails. This game is a survival alien science fiction game. You are dumped on a planet and told, right, that's your lot, go get alive. And this is a game where the depth of things that can go wrong for you is astounding. Uh, it was released for the PC, the Atari Falcon, the Atari ST, and the Amiga. It was ported to home console 3DO. It was also released on the Jaguar CD, Ooh. but cancelled before sale. Wow, so many people trying to make consoles at this era. Yeah. Uh, the spacecraft of Officer Trepolev, a member of the fictional Alien World Exploration Department, is sabotaged and crash-landed on a prison planet called Zarathustra. Oh, I see. <laughs> Also, Sprax Arthur. This game was <laughs> brutalized in its PC release because it was so hard, div- you know, reviewers couldn't play the game to a meaningful conclusion and get a good opinion of it. So, <laughs> wow. PC Gamer gave it 40%, Amiga Power gave it 39%. Curiously, however, Amiga Format, which bought the game and uh, with, with the premise for Amiga Format, would be buy the game, we play it, and when we're done, we give you a review rather uh. than we try and hit a release schedule. They gave it 82%. So an actual review. Yeah, yeah. Three years later. <laughs> 
Right, so what I'm getting is excellent game crippling difficulty that will make it not fun for anyone who is willing to, well, just put it down. Uh, Richard Pelly of Omega Power, who is a name that's meaningful to me because he moved on to work at PC Format. All right. Um, you, you had the wonderful quote of, it's like being told to paint a fence and discovering that it's 15 miles long. <laughs> <laughs> the game is called Robinson's Requiem. It's available <laughs> on GOG. Do not do not buy this on a whim. <laughs> but if you want a game where it's possible to have your eye damaged and infected and infested and removed, you should check it out. It's that kind of game. Go check out go check out Lisa on Steam. Actually, yeah. <laughs> hey, there's room for multiple games here. I'm pretty sure <laughs> the fortress, it's eye being damaged, then infected, then infested, then removed uh, genre is not <laughs> widely served. Uh, there's a top-down That's shooter the, game. From... Commonly referred to as the four-eye genre. <laughs> we have a top-down shooter game that was released under shareware by Apogee and apparently was really successful as a shareware game, but surprisingly few people bought it. It wasn't heavily pirated. It's just people like, oh, hey, yeah, I got nine levels of this game. This is really good. That's all I need. Oh, hang on. Is this, um, it's like not Tyrion. It's not Tyrion. It's... It competed with Tyrion. I shouldn't know this. Uh, it was, it tried for a when you say top-down shooter, you mean like a shmup, or do you mean like uh, a like shmup? A yes, TV sort a shmup. You oh. were you were driving, you were piloting a plane that was moving on a linear path up the screen, and things would come at you in waves, and you would shoot at them. Right, it is a plane shooter. That's yeah, it. and you had destructible stuff on the ground, and you had a surprisingly large number of things you could shoot at. Um, also, it had a really honky uh, April Fool's Day thing, and a thing that would happen on birthdays of the developers only. Where <laughs> Why the, don't I know the name of this damn game? Where the forests would erupt with monkeys that would fling coconuts at you, and they were so hard. They were that you, you were basically doomed when that happened, which meant that there was you know one day of the year where you can't play this game you bought. What a great <laughs> idea! Is it, it's not. Oh, I can't remember it. I want to say something Horizon or something. It's but... Raptor Call of the Shadows. It's understandable you didn't remember the name. It's the most generic, it is a very thing generic in the world. Name, but... <clears throat> Next up, we have. All right, I'm not going to try and be silly about this. This is a Sierra adventure game that I personally find really important. Uh, it was something I wrote about on my blog. It's an Space RPG. Space Quest. <laughs> oh, Quest, Quest for Glory. Yeah, Quest for Glory Four um, by Corey and Laurie Ann Cole. Uh, I told you they'd come up again. <laughs> uh, yeah, Quest of Glory: Shadows of Darkness, the fourth and at the time thought to be final game in that franchise, and absolutely the best. I could argue about that for with myself for hours. It's probably the best. I like two a lot as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard to pick a best one in that one. Um, it was notable at the time because we got John Rhys Davies to do the voice acting. A real actor! He's a narrator, isn't he? Yes. So he shows up a hell of a lot. Mm. What we didn't realize at the time is that also in that voice crew, we had Jim Cummings. <laughs> well, he's in everything that has voice acting. And one of the earliest computer game roles for Jennifer Hale. Nice. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. That's why there's an extremely sexy lady in it. A sexy redhead who doesn't take any shit, you say. <laughs> <laughs> so mysterious. Next up, we have the very... Generically bland for, a generically bland voice lady, you say? No. <laughs> <laughs> we have a forgotten sequel <coughs> to the Hugo's House of Horrors adventure game series. A forgotten oh sequel? So yes. Not Hugo 2? Not Hugo 2. There was Hugo, Hugo 2 Who Done It, Hugo 3 Lost in the Jungle. And then there was this one. Yeah, I've, I've never gone near a Hugo thing except for one Let's Play that the listener is probably already aware of. This um, is... 
Nightmare 3D, where they got the Wolfenstein engine and made a Hugo shooter. They didn't even brand it with the, the no. franchise name, but they wanted to make it part of that. Why would you not just make something else? And you go through the same house. It's mapped on the same house. Oh it's just God. now you shoot the things in the dining hall and you use all the same passwords and puzzles. And there are points where you're given prompts and you have to type in answers like when you're asked riddles. <laughs> well, you know, you could make a a hybrid shooter text adventure. Yeah. Uh, kind of dealy. That's not too tragic. Uh, yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> Hugo... It was designed to run on Windows 3.1 systems. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you're out there, uh, you know, if you want to find an obscure, weird game to try out, Nightmare <laughs> 3D, it's probably free. We'll put that on the bizarre shit we should stream sometime list. Hey, remember Bullfrog? Yeah. Remember how they were just doing just some of the weirdest cool shit right now? Oh god, is this when Dungeon Keeper came out? No, Dungeon Keeper was a later year. I thought so, yeah. But they decided, let's make a flight engine game and let's not use fucking planes. Let's let people summon oh, magic. Yeah, wow. Magic up. Let's people. Let's let people summon fucking dragons. I forgot that that was Bullfrog. Yes. Why? Why? This this company was so productive this year. If you had just made theme park, you could sit back and go, "Yeah, we're done. We're we're, we're cool." Fucking carpet. Next up. We have another game by Corey and Laurie Ann Cole, released by Sierra Entertainment. I already knew they were machines. And this was a puzzle game. Or rather, it was a kids' approachable educational game that was full of puzzles. Oh, 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 um, it's a, is this the island of Dr. Brain? It's not the island, it's the lost mind of Dr. Brain. Oh, I, I did not know there were multiple Dr. Brains. There were lots of Dr. Brains. Cool. Next up, we have the sequel to, quote-unquote, the classic video game. Okay. It's, it's, co- it's called Classic Games Name, The Legend Returns. And it was released by Sierra, um, and it attempted to um, capitalize on the previous game it was modeled on's fast-paced action by being slow as sludge. Um, it was a puzzly platformer where you were running around trying to collect treasure and avoid hooded figures that were going to try and kill you, and you could dig holes. I don't... Loadrunner? Loadrunner. In 1994, Sierra released a lushly animated, slow-moving Loadrunner sequel. Called Classic Loadrunner. Called Loadrunner, The Legend Returns, and according oh. to the back of the box, back of the box, sequel to the classic video game. Okay. I mean, Loadrunner Sorry, is a I... classic game. It absolutely yeah. is. No, absolutely. I thought you were saying that classic was part of the title of the sequel. Mm. Next it's up. Hard we... to speak, it's hard to speak in square brackets. <laughs> it, yes, absolutely. Next up, we have one of the one of the few games of the 90s from the European development scene that really got out and was really notable. Uh, this game was developed by French people. Um, it was released by Electronic Arts. It was developed by Adeline Software. And in it, you played a free-moving, mode-shifting little weird person interacting with the world with lovely pre-rendered 3D backgrounds and uh, polygonal 3D models walking around on top of it. You could jump around from you know a puzzle-solving mode to a sporty mode, which turned the game into a bit of a platformer, uh, a stealth mode, and a punch-and-shit mode. A little bit. Uh, it was called Little Big. <laughs> Adventure. Yes, here. yes, it was. Oh, a little big adventure had mode switching. It does. Damn, yeah, that's the, the I've seen less mechanic. of that game than I thought. That's, that's like the, the the core mechanic of the game. Yeah, um, little big adventure is a surprisingly fun little fucker. I I, yeah. I recommend you go out and it's give it a shot. Oddity. It's an oddity. Yeah. Um, also, because the game it was called uh, Twinsons Odyssey. Odyssey? Or uh, yeah, relentless Twinsons Odyssey. Relentless. The, that's the name I was thinking of. Yeah, because the game is so. Um, that is a weird contrast of titles. It's also it's also um, dialogue light. Uh, in in Europe, it was relentless Twinsons adventure. That was the original. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting game. It's very dialogue light. 
Um, so most of the characters instead have this weird habit of like grunting or, or, or gesturing or making just sounds at one another, which is a really interesting, different way to handle things. Yeah, I wish that would happen more in modern games instead of full voicing. Hey, Westwood tried to get into the point and click adventure game. What do Westwood do when they're at home? Uh, Command and Conquer. Oh, right. Hmm. Yeah, uh, this game spawned uh, Siberia. Oh, is it spelled with a CY? <laughs> okay, yes, Siberia with a CY came out in 1994. Oh god! And it was a awful 3D rendered puzzle step platformer. Well, not even a platform. It was a really shunky adventure game and a rail shooter. Like, you'd do some puzzles, then you'd fly mm. a plane on a rail shooter, and they were both sure. really annoying. Um, I, I don't recommend either of the... I don't recommend you play Siberia at all. But yes, it did come out in 1994. But no, this is a point-and-click adventure game where it wanted to be more of a storybook fable thing, and it had an evil jester, and it wanted to have that in, you know slightly funny, tongue-in-cheek sense of humor, and the protagonist was dull as dishwater, and no one really remembers this one. Oh, 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 I do know this, because the there's a sequel, sequel to it, is which is good. Great. Um, the sequel is Hand of Fate, yes. isn't it? I do not know the first game. It's just called The Legend of Kyrandia. Kyrandia, oh. that's right. Yeah, also known as Fables and Fiends. But yeah, yes, it's just fine. It was fine. You, you could you could probably enjoy Kyrandia 1, but Kyrandia 2 is a lot better. Yeah, it's, it's like, it really, it's noteworthy just because it spawns such an interesting sequel. Hey, Jeb, you remember the game yeah. you always bring up whenever anyone wants to talk about, you know, well, I knew Dark Souls, I knew the developers of Dark Souls back in their first game, and they're about to say Demon's Souls? Kingsfield? Yes. Yeah, Kingsfield came out in 1994. Holy shit, they made games in 1994? Yeah. I think Armored Core is pretty close to that old, too. Yeah. Was this as from, and this is... This is as from software. Just what they were doing back then. Wow. Yep, and it was in, It was on the PlayStation. It actually got a bunch of different sequels. There are several Kingsfield games. Yeah, yeah. It was a franchise that basically kept the lights on while they were working on other big projects, and Demon's huh. Soul was one of those. Uh, uh, Kingsfield 1 was like that odd uh the the odd like open world or not more like like dungeon crawler sort of thing that was common in the era mm-hmm. with lots of blocky stuff and then like sort of sprite based enemies you know the like like the billboarding sort of sprites and uh it was hard as fuck <laughs> <laughs> all right next up we have and this this game is not, I'm not there's no guess on this one because this game i'm i'm reasonably certain is not like i don't think we could pronounce it correctly but it's noteworthy to mention that this game oh exists <laughs> It's called Igor Objective Uikokahania, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. This game was noteworthy because it was the first full, fully Spanish-developed point-and-click adventure game. Mm. Um, it, I, I played it once. It was fine. It wasn't memorable enough to stick out, but it's like I just wanted to say, you know, the shit was not all Nintendo and, uh, sure. and Virgin. Yeah. Um, similarly, there was a, a, a video game. You know what? Tell you what, this video game has on its cover starring Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Wow. Mm. Oh, we're not still on the Spanish one. No, this is a new game. Developed, released in 1994 by Game Tech and developed by Take-Two Interactive Software. The game was oh, one of the first CD-ROM-only games to use speech with high-res graphics and has been described as very similar to Bloodnet, which is referenced during one of this game's subplots. It also has in the voice acting cast Grace Jones, Jeffrey Holder, and Stephanie Seymour. <laughs> not ringing any bells. I was just exasperated. Because uh, of Take-Two, because, whew, that was a company. That sure was a company. <laughs> This game was called Hell, a cyberpunk adventure. <laughs> You're in hell. By the way, Dennis you know Hopper what, is what, You know what became... Well, good casting. You know what? Day 2 was known for, for literally just making budget games. The idea was the, the implication from the name was, well, just instead of buying one game, take two. Yeah. <laughs> but they were cheap. But do you know what happened to, to Take Two? What happened to Take Two, Jeff? Well, um, they wound up getting uh, licensed to some major sports titles close to the uh, right around the oh, the turn of the century. Of them. And uh, eventually, because these sports games they made were actually quite good, these licensed sport games that all had the name like uh, like like 
NBA 2K1, NBA 2K2. <laughs> they decided that instead of Take 2, they'd be 2K. Ah. And you may have heard of 2K games. I've heard of 2K yeah, games. Yeah. They publish everything now. <laughs> well, to, to just... Uh... Like, hell, a cyberpunk thriller is unremarkable. It was a point-and-click adventure game where every puzzle was a code. That, that's really it. It was just this giant... And they were all 666. It was a lot like doing your soda... <laughs> it was a lot like making doing a Sodoku puzzle harder. You you had to go to a different location to get the information to get the code to work. Where the fuck did I put that number nine? Now, here's the really fucked up thing. The game published with errors. The game published oh. with game-breaking errors. Oh, superb. And these game-breaking errors were in voice acting. Hey? As in, a character would say a line that was a clue for solving a puzzle, and it was wrong. <laughs> and it was said by Mr. Dennis Hopper. <laughs> so fixing it would involve hiring Mr. Hopper... <laughs> To come in and say his lines again. We should work with that. This is Satan fucking with you. And Mr. Hopper was not happy with the experience of being a video game voice actor. Right. This is a rare instance of a game where it cost too much to try and fix a bug. <laughs> wow. It was also garbage ass. Now what they should have done was just had one of the developers just record the, the, the clue <laughs> and just splice it over. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's why the code is 666. <laughs> you can could, you could just filter it, you know. Yeah, like, put it that's the why it's It doesn't matter if it sounds like Dennis Hopper anymore, because <laughs> it sounds like the mouth of hell. But of course, the yeah. smart thing to do would be to edit it so that the clue was right. If you can make that work. <laughs> like, I could see why you might not be able to do that. Yeah. At least for some of them. Next up... Anyway, you can just fucking get it right the first time, you agents. Mm, good, good puzzle editing, good good copy yeah. control is important. Well, if you're making a puzzle game, that is the thing. Yeah. Next up, we have Apogee Software throwing their hat into the first-person shooter ring and making a game that was surprisingly fast and fun, if as thin on plot as you could imagine. Sorry, are you talking about thin on plot? Yeah, yeah. Cool. What are you talking about thin on plot? <laughs> yes, Jeb, I'm saying the Martians, <laughs> The Martians are here and they want our women. That's plot enough for me. <laughs> well, it wasn't that game. It wasn't? That wasn't their first first-person shooter? Uh, no, they, their first one was Rise of the Triad. That oh. came first? Yeah, Blake Stone came really? out later that year. But yeah, uh, the Wolfenstein 3D engine, which was picked up by Tom Hall, uh, and made for Apogee, Rise of the Triad, Dark War, <laughs> 45 <laughs> levels of just tons and tons and tons of cult shooting. <laughs> Next up, we have an educational game that's point and Ooh. click, and it's hey. about a fish. And there's like a fucking hundred of them. And her name is Freddy. Yes, it's Freddy the Fish. Okay. Well, sorry, no, Freddy Fish and the Case of the uh, Missing wait, wait, Kelp Seeds. Oh, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> Next up. See, I thought this was going to be EcoQuest, and I was all set to be like, Talon, did you learn nothing from EcoQuest? It's a dolphin! <laughs> I'm not going to talk smack about EcoQuest, thank you. <laughs> Some other time. Um, one page remember, by the way, Freddy Fish is a girl. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. That's Freddy's awesome. a girl. I really did not know that. I'm I'm very sorry, Freddy. I did not mean to misgender you. Uh, next up, we have holy crap! Was no, it's the third installment of a of its franchise, but the franchise is long running. Um, the story is divided into two parts. The first is a remake of the first game, while the second is an original story acting as a sequel to the first game. After defeating Sorcerer Garnef and the Dark Dragon, oh, it Medius. is Fire Emblem. Yes. Yeah, it's a Fire Emblem game. Uh, Mystery of the Emblem for the SNES. Sorry for the Super Famicom. That was, see, I was going to yell out as soon as you said a remake and then a sequel, but I thought we're not in Nintendo kind of territory right now. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a joke answer. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have the arcade game version of a famously broken NES platform game. Uh, The arcade version was developed by Rare. I was going to say Turtles, but... No, no. but you're right in that it is is a water-dwelling... Uh, amphibious Battletoads. Battletoads. Battletoads is a platform? Or is it just a shoot 'em up? No. It's a beat 'em up. Well, beat 'em up. Uh, fair yeah. enough. But Battletoads, the arcade game. 
Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, it's got six levels. Man, the Battletoads wanted to be the Turtles. <laughs> really badly. Super badly. Um, I'm just going to... And they kept going aquatic with all the wannabe turtles. Like, there was Battletoads and there were street sharks and it's like they couldn't get off the water theme. Like, that was what made them work. Mighty Ducks. Um, my, <laughs> my uncle who passed away... There was a Mighty Ducks cartoon. It was, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking yeah, fight me. Come, you know, haters. I just, yeah. That was a fair bit later, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like 1997. Um... But next up, we have a really weird... Like, okay, so, so this is only historically notable because of two things that it doesn't technically connect to. Do you remember Chuck Rock? Yes. Yeah. Did you know that there was a racer game that was going to be a Chuck Rock tie-in? No. Mm. Did not know that one. Yeah. Uh, it's a game called BC Racers, and it's a really shonky sprite kart game. It's, it's not very good. But the developer of it is a guy called Toby Guard, who is responsible for the first character design. Oh, I know. To- Toby Guard is the guy who made Undertale. <laughs> no, Tony Gard, G-A-R-D, who was responsible oh. for designing Lara Croft. Oh. Which is to say, BC Racers is almost interesting. <laughs> but no, it turns out it's just another game that isn't Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, how about an action-adventure platform game? Well, not really a platform game. Developed by Novatrade International, published by Sega, and released for most of Sega's gaming consoles in 1994. It was Gunstar very similar. Heroes? Sorry, Jim? Gunstar Heroes? No, not Gunstar Heroes. In this one, you move freely with some caveats, uh, through, a, through a 2D space, because you're underwater. Echo the Dolphin? Echo the Tides of Time. I don't <laughs> actually know that much about Echo games specifically, so I couldn't provide more useful hints. They involve fucking the UFOs time was... and time travel and... Ugh. Oh, yeah, yeah, and alien yeah. mothers and shit. Yeah, you, uh, in fact, Tides of Time is the one that just opens with all the dolphins getting kidnapped by aliens, isn't it? Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, you're the last dolphin in the world. Echo is some next-level shit for a game that pretends to be about, you know, hey, look at a cute dolphin. Also, it was well, on a bunch of consoles. It was strictly on Mega Drive. It was on, it was on all of Sega's consoles. Huh. It was a Master System version. Um... Echo is, like, directly based on some really weird conspiracy theories about the origin of dolphins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're too smart. They must be an alien life form or something. Yeah, basically. So, next up, we have a game that is mostly known nowadays, not for the game itself, but for an RPG spin-off of it that was full of anarchic humor. Uh, This is uh, Michael Jordan Chaos in Windy City? Oh, you're so close. It is a basketball game. It is a basketball game with an RPG spin-off. Oh, it's uh, Shut Up and Jam. Jam. Yes, it's Barkley Shut Up and Jam. The thing is, like, the, the the, the sprite work and everything in in uh, in uh, Shut Up and Jam Garden. Yeah, yeah, is more clearly based on Chaos and Windy City. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you don't know about Barkley Shut Up and Jam Garden? Yeah, the Garden was the surprising part. Yes. Yeah, it's an it's an it RPG where basketball has been made illegal and you're traveling around performing. Um, you know, in, in like. I, I, and this I, was a separate separate game to yeah, Barkley Shut Up game. and Jam, which it's already. Oh, it's a fan game. Okay. Yeah. okay. I, I cannot that begin. Makes sense. I cannot begin to explain to you Barkley Shut Up and Jam. Gaiden. I, no, I that's cool. The the okay. What was surprising me was that Gaiden. Uh, that that would mean that it was made by a Japanese developer, mm. and I would not expect to hear that for something originally called Barkley Shut Up and Jam. Which, that said, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff colliding there. But if it's a fan thing, then suddenly everything makes sense. Everything. That said, Barkley Shut Up and Jam did get a Japanese release, and its name is awesome. No, do it. Bakure no Power Dunku. <laughs> Sweet. How cool is that? <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping over a couple now, uh, but quick question. Do you remember Blue Byte Software, Jeb? Vaguely. Uh, Did they do budget re-releases of things? No, no. no. Blue, Blue Byte were notable for incredibly mathy, crunchy, uh, hex-based strategy games, particularly the Battle ah. Isle series. And sure, sure. Battle Isle 2 came out in 1994. Huh. Now, home stretch here. We have possibly the worst fighting game ever released on the PC. Ooh, that's saying a lot. 
Yeah. Mm. You couldn't jump over each other. <laughs> you couldn't face left. You couldn't face left. You couldn't fucking face left. How? So, what? Like, you just... Your character was always facing right. The only character you could play in a multi-character oh, beat the, the PC. Well, okay. Like, I, I thought both players could only face left, so, like, one of you had to be... What's this both back? players stuff? <laughs> well, the enemy character. Yeah. Like, you had a game, a fight game, where both characters were facing the same direction, and one of them had to, I don't know, hold a shotgun over their shoulder and shoot back. <laughs> no. This game featured such glaring problem as the AI was not capable of reacting if you jumped. Oh, oh, hang on. Was this famously released, uh, like, a, a preview version? Uh, it was the predecessor to the god-awful We Sent You a Preview That Works, and the actual game is buggy as bullshit? Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Rise of the Robots. Rise of the Robots. Yes. I I am staking my flag on this. I think Rise of the Robots might be the worst PC fight game ever made. Like, incompetently made. It sounds like it would be hard to find anything worse than a game that just fucking doesn't work. I mean, this is like Colonial Marines level bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a testament to where you choose to spend your money, because Rise of the Robots had really nicely made 3D rendered um, objects turned into sprites, like Donkey Kong Country, and they were all smoothly animated. Also, the composer for Rise of the Robots was Brian May. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that Brian May, not, you know, a guy who happens to be named Brian May. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and they, that, that's just where they spend all their money. Explains why I previewed well, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was garbage. It was indescribable garbage. Next up, we have a top-down adventure game where you could pick up almost every object and most of them did nothing. But it's the kind of game where you could pick up the wallet, open the wallet, and inside the wallet there's a stick of gum. And you can open the stick of gum, and inside the stick of gum there is a piece of gum. Dreamweb. Dreamweb. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Dreamweb is a weird, weird game. Um, I would really like it if indie developers took the mechanical aesthetic of like, hey, top down, I don't have to do as much art assets, uh, and, and worked with that and made some interesting games. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a fun idea of like, you know, let's make this as real as possible by, by making all the objects incredibly detailed and whatnot, but... You know, it turns out that in practicality, that just means you have a game where the usefulness of nothing is ever telegraphed. Yeah. Um, Dreamweb also was notable for basing its seven antagonists on the seven deadly sins, and then ditching two of the antagonists midway through the game because (laughs) they couldn't be bothered. It was claimed to be an attempt to make a cyberpunk Highlander game. Highlander. Interesting. And it had a booklet that came with it called... Well, that explains why there was a quickening in it. Yeah. And the ending, of the, and the the game released with a booklet called "Diary of a Mad Man," as in like the mad had a, had brackets and a question mark. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's oh, that's quality. It's not a good game, and it was banned in Australia at first. Oh, right, there's titties in one scene, nope, isn't there? Nope, there's no? four there's pixels of dick. Oh, that's right, it's male nudity for once. Yes, full frontal male nudity. You see a rock star's penis. You see four pixels of dick. And yeah, well, realistically, you see four pixels because the, you you know you can't make a penis out of four pixels. <laughs> I mean, you can make a stick, but that that could be anything. You remember how last week when we talked about 1994, I mentioned that Sensible Software released probably one of their most successful games, Sensible World of Soccer? Oh, yes. They also released another game, which might be one of their most important games. I remember giggling because Sensible World of is just... <laughs> it's an anarchic, funny, jokey take on war. And at the end of every game, it shows you fields and fields of graves of every single person and soldier that died thanks to your playthrough. Oh, wow. Cannon Fodder, Cannon Fodder 2. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck. Oh, and Cannon really Fodder 1? Cannon Fodder 1? It wasn't graves. It was poppies. Yeah. Just 
Sure, fucking, yeah. Oh, and it plays Flanders Fields over the end credits. <laughs> After this game with this sort of, ha <laughs> yuck, yuck, let's play, let, let, let's video games. It's called war. Cannon Fodder. It's called Cannon Fodder. And then you get this slow oh scroll God. over Poppy Fields while Flanders Fields plays. <laughs> and you'd think it would, you'd think it had come across badly, but it punched me in the goddamn gut. You'd think no one would have bought the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Cannon Fodder was a really good game. Yeah, really fun. Nobody bought... Nobody bought the recent sequel. Yeah. Which is bad. But because Gog bought, released the original. They bought it by a... Or, like, you know, picked up off the street by a yeah. by a random developer with yeah. no concept of the originals. It's just a generic RTS, basically, now. Yeah. Next up, almost last, we have a really weird game that I want to just mention because, like, I, I'm pretty sure neither of you know about this game. But I want you to know this game exists. This game was a life simulator. There was no end state. There was no victory state. And you could play this game for long enough and your character would just die of old age. No. Mm-hmm. But you said die, I thought this was going to be a harvest moon. No, no. Uh, but you did have to gather food. You had to find a mate. You had to um, reproduce and have kids and take care of the kids. Um, you had to get your territory and take care of it. And you're a wolf. And that's all this game is. It's it's just a wolf simulator. Ah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's called Wolf. Yeah. Did it not go so well? It did well enough that it got a sequel called Lion, which was exactly what it says on the tin. Sure. Yeah, you, you play as a giraffe. <laughs> but, look, actually, seriously, in Lion, giraffes fuck you up. <laughs> because kind of giraffe. Things are tall. And, 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 like, the thing with Africa, any animal, any animal that looks ridiculous, you then have to say, hang on, but lions leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> giraffes? I don't see how you're going there. Like, lions do not leave alone every animal that looks ridiculous. No, but giraffes... Do, sorry, lions do leave giraffes the fuck alone. Sure. Because it turns out a thing with, like, what is it, four meters of reach and a headbutt that will break your skull. Don't fuck with that. It looks like it must be really fragile, but it turns out it's just a muscle tube. Yeah. <laughs> just a muscle tube is... <laughs> four pixels of penis is... <laughs> but yeah, Wolf Wolf is just a, a sandbox game from a period before Minecraft, and it's really interesting that it exists. Cool. Finally, we have a Bridgestone Multimedia Group game. And I'm wondering if that sets off alarm bells for Jeb. That name is too big for anything good to come of this. Mm, mm, it's almost like they're not actually EMT. people who develop games. Yeah, mm. uh, This is filed under edutainment... No. And Christian video game. Oh, God. Filed under edutainment is my OK Keep It profile name. Nice. This game centers on a city of humans, which is one day encased by by a dome of darkness perpetuated by robot cybers who have trapped the citizens in lies. Cyber is not a noun. While the organization known as Bible Corps has managed to make a hole in the dome. You've not been able to accomplish more. The protagonist is engaged by Bible Corps to be beamed into the city. Though he is able to take his computer Bible with him, all of the verses are erased. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no, my God! To remedy this, Bible Corps brings scripture stations into the station city where he may reload it. Gameplay centers on the protagonist obtaining these verses and using them to confront the cybers who obstruct the hallways of the buildings in his city. Hold on, I'm sorry. This, This sounds like a game where they set up a cyberpunk prison city environment. But the problem that the main character has to solve is just that he can't remember Bible verses. Which is a problem he brought in with him. Not enough Jesus. And and it's the most widely published English language book in the world. Surely someone in the dome's got a paper copy. But but anyway, an optional feature... That's why it up, because they have none. An optional feature allows players to engage cybers in hand-to-hand combat performed using the Sword of the Spirit and the Shield of Faith. The game is presumably set in the future based on several of the game details, <laughs> including the cybers themselves. The cybers. Okay, the tra- <coughs> hang on. The transporter type device used to beam the protagonist into the dome 
and the spacecraft he uses in the opening to fly through the command post. Hold on, is this a demonym? Is this a Cybus people from Siberia? No, go on, Jeb. How many times did they make you play this game? <laughs> well, I didn't get this game. I got uh, Saving Telus Minor, which was a little bit like that, where you were running around trying to, trying to literally create shibboleths with strangers. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this game is Captain Sounds amazing. Bible. <laughs> Captain Bible! In Dome of Darkness. Oh! <laughs> Okay, I thought this was quite a grim, serious-sounding cyberpunk thing. Hold on. Amazon.ca. <laughs> I gotta add this to my wish list now. Oh, my God. No, the protagonist is wearing a full white superhero outfit with blue oh. undies on the outside, a blue oh cape, God. yellow underside to the cape, and he has a glowing sword and a Bible so big the Statue of Liberty would have a hard time lighting it. I have so much tonal mismatch right now. <laughs> Surrounded by golden robots trying to kill him. I love this. <laughs> so how the fuck did I miss all of that shit in 1994? Yeah, you're right. 94 was amazing. 1994 was fucking incredible. As always, we would like to thank our Patreons, whose support we hugely appreciate. Uh, it helps us keep the server going for the show and uh, make it so we don't have to fool around with any nonsense like advertising or whatnot. So thanks, patrons. We will still accept advertising dollars. Oh, yeah. If anybody wants to pay us, yeah. I will sell the fuck out. Like, right now. You, you want me to do this podcast wearing Adidas wear? I will fucking do it. No, you won't. They can't tell. It's audio. Not in my house. <laughs> Motherfucker, I will wear a Chocobo beanie. Well, I have those. I saw those. Right, well, yeah, that. Yeah, that, that sounds rad as fuck. What if you can buy a Tonberry hoodie? Passed around. That's been Jen. Oh, sure. Sorry, tell oh, him, yeah. like, gestures at me from the other side of I'm the sorry, microphone. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. It's all I'm right. very sleepy. Sure. Yes. So before we run out of energy from lack of sleep, that's been Talon. That's been Jeb. And that's been Fox. And does this mean I'm supposed to do the outro as well? Yep. 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 Don't worry. You did a good job. We're done.